You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 10 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now, we're in a series called A Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is on Psalms 64 through 72. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review the last podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between the book of Exodus and book two of the Psalms. We saw the way the Israelites traded the voice of God for an idol they could see and touch. We often do the same thing. Number two, we looked at how faithful God is to bless us and how the Israelites used the blessing of gold from the Egyptians in order to create their idol. We also face the danger of worshiping the blessing instead of the blesser. I love church buildings with classic Americana architecture. I mean, there's something special about the majestic vault of a cathedral too. But if I could, I would go to a church building with colonial symmetry, one with red bricks and white columns and a spire. Instead, I go to a church that meets in a converted Winn-Dixie grocery store. It's a big beige box. Don't get me wrong, that place holds unspeakable beauty for me, but it is entirely because of the people inside. There is nothing inspiring about the outside. It's funny, I used to shop at the same Winn-Dixie grocery store when I was just out of high school. In fact, the kid who sacked my groceries grew up and played in the NFL pursuing a different kind of sack. I remember I was going through a baked potato kick when I was shopping at that grocery store. Yeah, I ate one every day. Look, don't ask questions. I don't have answers. But every once in a while when I go to church today, I think about food. Only now, I guess, I'm going there to get food for my soul. The other day we were about to take communion, and as a pastor was leading the thoughts beforehand, he said something that has stayed with me. He said, you know, as a pastor, I get to interact with a lot of people. We often share breakfast or lunch together. And the one thing that is true is that if you enter a meal with me, you enter at one level of relationship and you leave the meal at another deeper level of relationship. Over the course of our meal, we'll have time and conversation in which we get to know more about one another. We'll feel more comfortable with one another. And later, when we pass by, we won't pass by in the same way that we did before. It should be the same with communion. We enter the meal at one level of relationship with Christ, and we should leave the meal at another deeper level of relationship with Him. That's what happens when you come into the presence of the Lord. But there is always a choice about whether we let the meal change us. When he said that, it resonated in my heart. In fact, I could not stop thinking about it all day, all week. Isn't it true that when you share a meal with someone, goodness, it doesn't even have to be a whole meal. If you just share coffee with someone, you enter at one level of relationship and you leave at another deeper level of relationship just because you were in their presence for an extended period of time. You no longer just pass by, 
you don't have the most basic top level comments for one another. You move from talking about things like the weather forecast to asking about their family members by name. You move from just mentioning the last big baseball game to mentioning that you saw something that reminded you of an inside joke or something from your conversation. It goes from surface to specific. One meal makes a difference. I could not stop thinking about this. One meal. Maybe there are different kinds of meals, in fact. Different circumstances that can accelerate the connection. I thought of that as I ruminated last week on what the pastor had said during communion. What really makes a significant change in a relationship is if you come to someone's house for the meal. If someone invites you over to their house, you are really in their presence. You see pictures of their past. You see colors that they've chosen for their decor. You hear the music that they play. You pet their dog. You smell their house smell. Oh, come on, you know everybody has a certain house smell. And don't you feel close to a person forever, even after you've only been to their house one time? The next time that they're telling you a story, you'll be able to picture the scene in their kitchen or in their backyard. Your friendship becomes vivid in a way. And what are other situations that one meal can change everything? Well, what if during that one meal, something unusual or even uncomfortable happens? Let me explain. If the waiter happens to drop the tray just beside the table, that's unusual. And if the spaghetti sauce splatters on both of you, that's uncomfortable. How about if you left your cell phone or your sweater at a restaurant? That's unusual. But then you go all the way back and you still can't find it. And you have to retrace your steps looking for it. That's uncomfortable. I'm not saying anything like that has ever happened to me, by the way. Or maybe you have a flat tire or you end up in the emergency room. Now that one did happen to me. And though it has been years, I am bonded to the friends who took me there. Look, I'm not wishing any of this negativity on anyone. And it's not necessary to deepen a friendship. But you know, because you've experienced it, that if something like that happens, your friendship is forever framed in a special way. And eventually you may even laugh about what happened. One time I'd just known a work colleague for one week and then I left work on an errand and ran out of gas on the way back. I had to call her with my cheeks burning red to ask if she could come pick me up. Ugh. But hey, you enter the stranded vehicle at one level of relationship and you leave the stranded vehicle at another deeper level of relationship. She and I eventually laughed about it. And we became friends much faster than we would have otherwise. We let the experience bond us positively, but that was a choice. There have been psychological studies about this kind of thing. When real people have been trapped in an elevator together for a few hours, the unusual, uncomfortable experience bonds them for life, though they would have stayed strangers otherwise. They entered the elevator at one level of relationship and they left the elevator at... Well, you get it. All of this can happen if, and that is if, both parties allow the experience to bond them positively. There is always a choice. I'll get back to shared meals in a minute. For now, let's dive into Exodus. We're still at the point where the Israelites have chosen to create a golden calf. 
As we said in the last episode, Moses did not come down the mountain right away. The people thought he had disappeared, so they reached out for something they could see and touch as they waited. As I read this old story with new eyes, I marveled at Aaron's involvement in this disaster. You may remember several episodes ago, I mentioned that God specifically chose Moses and had specifically prepared him to be the leader and spokesman for the Israelites. But Moses denied his capabilities and his calling. He begged God to send someone else. God suggests Aaron, Moses' brother, but this plan B would eventually have a negative impact. Moses had been raised as a prince with an Egyptian education in the royal household. Aaron, though he was Moses' brother, did not have the same upbringing. He had remained in the land of Goshen, in the Israelite settlement within Egypt, and he was raised with a slave mindset, as was every other member of the Israelite camp. As far as we know from Exodus, Moses was the only one qualified to lead the people because he was the only one who had known freedom his whole life. No one else really knew how to handle it. And freedom is so powerful that it can be explosive when not handled responsibly. Think about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible but not everything is constructive. Aaron, with his slave mindset, was thrust into a leadership position prematurely because Moses refused to be obedient to God's voice. Let's not forget this. But blame is never the answer to any situation. Blame wants to point just one finger. Most of the time, life is more complicated than that. Look at Aaron. With his slave mindset, he is used to blindly obeying orders. And when the people come to him en masse and ask him to make some gods, he senselessly says, okay, bring me your gold earrings. And he just does it. He doesn't assert himself in protest at all. And as weird as it is that the people pretended that they had not just heard the deafening voice of the Lord 40 days before, it's even more bizarre to think about Aaron. See, Aaron did not just hear the thunder He did not just see the lightning. Aaron did not just quake at the blast of the ram's horn. He did not just listen to the Lord's voice as everyone else had. No, Aaron ate with him. See, before the golden calf, back in Exodus 24, we read that Moses, Aaron, two of Aaron's sons, and 70 leaders all went up the mountain together and, I quote, shared a meal together in God's presence. This blows my mind. Where has this sentence been? Has this been in the Bible my whole life? Why did I just read it for the first time this week? I think it is because I have been ruminating for so long on the pastor's words. He said we have a choice about whether we let the meal change us. We are invited to come into the presence of the Lord through communion, to enter the meal at one level of relationship and leave the meal at another. But that's only if we choose it. And why didn't Aaron let the meal change him? Just a minute ago, I said that a meal really makes a difference when you're invited into someone's house. And isn't that what God had done? Invited Aaron up to the mountain. And just a minute ago, I had said that an unusual, uncomfortable experience coupled with the meal happens to bond people for life. And isn't that what had happened? 
Aaron had just walked between two walls of water. He had just seen a blood river, a swarm of frogs, a blistering hailstorm, unusual and out of his comfort zone. But he didn't let those experiences bond him to the Lord. It breaks my heart. Eventually, Aaron is restored to his relationship with God, even restored to his position of authority and honor as the first high priest. His primary duty in that office, let's notice, is to offer sacrifices. It was a bloody business involving the slaughter of huge animals such as bulls. And that brings us to our touchstone verse, the verse that connects book two of the Psalms to the second book of the Bible. Psalm 69, 30-31 reads, Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving, for this will please the Lord more than the sacrifice of an ox or presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. See, that's how I think Aaron could have made the change stick for good. He could have offered the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for the miraculous deliverance God had given them. That would have pleased God even more than the sacrifice of bulls. I'm guessing that Aaron stopped thanking God for those unusual and uncomfortable circumstances that he'd survived. He was just glad to be out of them. Okay, you know how I mentioned I go to church in a renovated Winn-Dixie, and I can't help but be reminded of food when I drive up to the building. Well, I'm reminded of something else, something more significant when I drive away. See, across the street, just opposite of the parking lot exit that I use, there is an abandoned building. It looks like a strangely shaped two-story house. It's just brown and tan with a few windows, but it's strange because it has three huge garage doors. Maybe someone would figure out what it used to be, but I guarantee you that most people don't even notice it. Still, there isn't a Sunday that goes by that I don't notice it. That's my firehouse. When I was a sophomore in college, my mom moved to a house just around the corner from that spot. And one week I had some alarming symptoms while I was on my campus, so I drove home briefly for medical tests. While I was still resting at home, I suffered a brain injury that left me paralyzed. My mother called 911, and we were so close to that firehouse that I heard the sirens wind up. I heard them growing louder as the paramedics raced to our house. I entered the ambulance at one level of relationship. Look, this is not a discussion of the source of suffering or where calamity comes from. However, I will say with all the strength within me that every situation is an invitation to share a meal in the presence of God, even when circumstances are unusual and uncomfortable. And let's just say it plainly, even when circumstances hurt, God can work in and through them for good. Many times he turns a situation around completely, but even before he does, I've found that the first way that he brings goodness to us is that he brings us to his table. He invites us to share a meal in his presence and to be changed there. We are changed there because he speaks to us about us and about himself as we dine. Our relationship with him is always the topic of conversation. During my paralysis and recovery, when God took me to his table for one of many meals we would share together, he told me of my true identity. See, before, I thought I could do anything I wanted. I didn't see this as pride exactly, although I guess it was. 
it wasn't so much that I could do anything I wanted as much as anything I wanted to do, I could. See, I wanted to sing and I could do it. I wanted to sew and paint and I could do it. I wanted to write moving messages and I could do it. I wanted to speak with power and I could do it. Now, I couldn't play basketball or play the piano. I couldn't excel in science, but then again, I didn't want to do any of those things. So I thought of myself as a singer, a seamstress, an artist, a writer, and a speaker, because I could do everything I wanted to do, until the day that I couldn't, and I didn't know who I was anymore. But at the table, God said, those things were never defining you, Nika. I've been trying to tell you that for years. Only your relationship with me defines you. You are my oh-so-beloved daughter, and that doesn't change, no matter what happens in your life. It took a few meals together before I really listened and walked away changed. Sometimes pain and loss cut out the noise, and we finally hear his voice. Have you seen the movie Creed? I'm a big fan of all seven Rocky films, and this one might be right behind the first Rocky in order of my favorites. I like it so much because it's all about identity. In the first Rocky, there's a scene that chokes me up every time when Rocky tells Adrian that he knows he can't win the fight with Apollo Creed. He isn't even trying to win, he tells her. He just wants to go the distance because, he says, then I'll know I weren't no bum from the neighborhood. He thinks this accomplishment, going the distance, will change who he is. He does go the distance in that fight, but that's not enough we see over the next six films. Next, he wants to marry Adrian. Then he wants to win the heavyweight championship. Then he wants to defend the heavyweight championship. Then he wants to avenge his friend's death. Then he wants to represent America globally. It goes on and on. He thinks that all of these outward achievements will make him happy, but they don't. And by the time we get to Creed, Rocky is no longer a fighter. He's a coach of fighters. And Rocky has experienced a lot of pain and loss. He finally knows that accomplishments don't make him who he is. It's knowing who he is that makes an accomplishment possible. I like this one scene in the locker room right before the last fight when Rocky is looking Adonis in the eye and is softly speaking to him before he faces his opponent. He's speaking to him like a coach who's been in the ring before. As a fighter who has bled and won and knows what he's talking about, he reminds Adonis that the fight will be about doing his best because of who he is. He doesn't mention going the distance or winning the title. He now knows that those things don't matter and they certainly don't last. The last thing he says to Adonis is, you can do it. That's common enough, if anyone is just saying you can do it. But when the person who is saying you can do it is someone who has already done what you're about to do, then you tend to believe him. When the former heavyweight champion of the world says something about the ring, you hear the words differently. Well, the writers could have given Rocky a better script in that scene. I wish they had. But my mind fills in the blanks, and I envision the same kind of thing happening to you and me when we prepare to face the fight of every day. I want Jesus speaking to me like the coach who has been in the ring before, like the fighter who has bled and won and knows what he's talking about. I'd listen to that kind of coach, wouldn't you? Jesus has already won every fight. When he speaks, we should hear his words differently. You know what that pastor said about communion? 
I'm pretty sure he would want you to know that conversations and shared meals with God don't have to happen just once a week or once a month when you're passing around a tray with a bit of bread and juice. The rite of communion is important, of course, but God wants to commune with us every day in a meal that's less like a big annual Thanksgiving dinner and more like just breakfast every day. The meals that really prepare us for the fights of our lives are usually ones we don't recognize. They're the everyday meals where we enter at one level of relationship and leave at another. And those can happen all the time if we make time for them and if we allow ourselves to be changed in His presence. Today's music is from Psalm 62 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. Have you pre-ordered my new book, Hunting Hope? It offers hope to anyone facing a season of darkness. Go to my website, nikamaples.com, to find out more. There you can sign up for my email list to receive a free hope poster and lots of encouragement every month. And by the way, if you enjoy this podcast, tell someone about it or post a review on iTunes. And now... We know that we who fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's inner sanctuary. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going.